0: Jennings' feet were two graves, dug close together, side by side. Unlike the others in the cemetery, these were fairly recent. One full-sized, the other small. The headstones unadorned, bearing only names and dates. See the dates? asked Jennings. June the 6th, four years ago. Thorne approached slowly and stood beside him, staring down at the mounds. They're the only recent ones in the whole place. The others are so old you can't even read them. Thorne knelt, wiping dirt from the headstone so he could see what was inscribed. Jennings knelt beside him, surprised to find that his companion was in tears. This is it, moaned Thorne. I know it. My child is buried here. And likely the woman who gave birth to the one you're raising. Thorne looked into Jennings' eyes. ''Maria Santoya,'' said Jennings, pointing to the headstone. ''There's a mother here and a child.'' Thorn shook his head, trying to make sense of it. ''But why here? Why in this terrible place?'' ''There's only one way to find out, Thorn. We've come all this way. We might as well do it.'' Jennings raised the tire iron, plunging it forcefully into the earth. Within half an hour they were covered with soot and perspiration, clearing the last bits of earth from two cement covers. They sat back on their knees and stared at them, assessing what next had to be done. Let's go, said Jennings. Do the big one first. Jennings struck hard with his tire iron, wedging it against the side of the large cement lid. Then, with great effort, he pried it upward until he could get his fingers underneath. Come on, God damn it! Jennings threw his weight against it, and the lid slowly came up. They both strained with the full force of their strength to hold it in place as their eyes searched the darkened chamber below. My God! It was the carcass of a jackal. Maggots and flies abounding in the decay, wriggling through bits of leathered flesh that still clung to the bones. With his mouth flying open, Thorn lurched backwards, The cement slipping from his grip and crashing downward, breaking into pieces in the crypt below. A horde of flies billowed upward, Jennings moving in sudden terror. "'Let's go!' "'No!' gasped Thorn. "'The other one. Maybe it's an animal, too.' "'So what?' "'Then maybe my child's alive somewhere.' Quickly retrieving the tire iron, Jennings jammed it against the smaller lid." Thorn getting his fingers beneath it as Jennings firmly pried it upward. Within the small casket was the remains of a human child, its delicate skull smashed to pieces. They murdered my son. They found their way to a small hotel and signed in under false names the concierge giving them the key to a single room. Thorne had fallen into an exhausted sleep, awakened by the phone. It was dark now and Jennings was gone. Yes, Thorne answered groggily. It was the voice of Dr. Becker, the tone of his voice betraying the news to come. I'm sorry to have to tell you this long distance what's happened. Kathy... "'jumped from her hospital window. "'She's dead, Mr. Thorne. "'We we did everything we could.' "'At midnight, Jennings returned, "'his gangly form bent with exhaustion "'as he looked to Thorne's figure lying prone on the bed. "'Thorn?' "'Thorn didn't answer, "'and Jennings sat heavily at the opposite side of his bed. "'I found out about the town of Megiddo, taken from the word Armageddon, the end of the world. Where is it? Thorne asked without expression. About fifty feet underground, I'm afraid, outside Jerusalem. I want to go there, whispered Thorne. Jennings nodded, emitting a long sigh. If only you could remember the name of the old man. Bugenhagen. Jennings glanced at him, still unable to see Thorne's eyes. Buggenhagen? That was the name, replied Thorne without expression. I've remembered it all, everything he said. Jennings listened intently in the darkness, finally alerted by the lifeless tone that something in Thorne had changed. Has something happened? he asked. Kathy's dead replied Thorne without emotion. I want the child to die too. The chamber was lit with dozens of hanging lanterns, the shadowed walls betraying the vague contours of buildings and stone stairwells moulded directly into the rock. Bugenhagen moved behind his table and with effort sat the light from his table lamp casting upon a complexion so pallid that it was almost transparent. His face was taut and it was bitter, as though he had no taste for what had to be done. "'What is this place?' asked Thorn. "'City of Jezreel, town of Megiddo,' he replied without expression. "'My fortress, my prison, the, the place where Christianity began.' "'Your prison?' "'Geographically, this is the heart of Christianity. "'So long as I remain within, nothing can harm me.' "'He paused, regarding their reaction. "'The little priest,' said Bogenhagen. "'Is he dead yet?' "'Yes.' "'Then sit down. We'd better get to work.' Thorne stared down at the table. "'Before him, seven stilettos were planted firmly upright, "'forming the sign of the cross. "'It must be done on hallowed ground.' whispered the old man. The grounds of a church. His blood must be spilled on the altar of God. Each knife must be buried to the hilt. The old man's gnarled hand reached in and with an effort unstuck the knife in the centre. The first dagger is the most important. It extinguishes physical life and forms the centre of the cross. You must be devoid of sympathy. This is not a human child. Thorne struggled to find his voice. What if you're wrong, he asked. What if he's not? Make no mistake, there must be some proof. He bears a birthmark, a sequence of sixes. Thorn's breath quickened. No, he said, he doesn't have it. He must have it. I've bathed him. I've studied every inch of him. If it is not visible on the body, you will find it beneath the hair. On the streets of Jerusalem they entered the narrowed sidewalk of a construction area. Thorne held up the package in his trembling hands. These are knives, weapons. He wants me to stab him. He expects me to murder that child. It's not a child, said Jennings. It is a child. Just cool off. No, Thorne shouted. I won't do it. He hurled the package of knives far beyond him where it hit a wall and bounced into an alley. Jennings moved quickly into the alley. He kicked rubble aside, spotting the small package at the base of a garbage bucket ahead. Hurrying to it, he bent over, failing to see the arm of a huge crane as it swung high overhead. Pausing for just an instant before letting loose the huge pane of glass held tightly in its grip. It sliced downward with the finality of a guillotine, catching Jennings just above the collar, neatly severing his head from his body before exploding into a million flying pieces. The child was asleep, his face peaceful and innocent, and Thorn averted his eyes, not daring to look at him again. He tightened his muscles and drew in his breath, then moved forward, a razor clutched tightly in his hand. Standing over the boy, he clicked on the razor and applied it firmly, pressing down at a point at the back of the child's skull. It was there, the birthmark, its scab-like texture torn into by the razor and bleeding now, but clearly imprinted against the white scalp at the base of his head. They were sixes, three of them, in a cloverleaf pattern with their curved tails touching in the center. The car lurched to a stop in front of the church and Thorn threw open the door. A howling wind rose up around them. The child spun in his arms and bit into his neck. Thorn screaming in pain as he fought to continue. Over the thunder came the sound of a police siren, and from the windows across the street a man's voice shouted desperately for Thorn to let the child go. But he was unhearing as the wind howled around him and the boy tore at the flesh of his face. A finger plunged into his eye socket and Thorn fell to his knees, clinging hard as he dragged the struggling child to the threshold of the stairs. With superhuman strength, he forced the child to the ground and reached into his coat, fumbling with a package of knives. With a blood-curdling cry, Damien kicked it from his hand and the stilettos sprinkled onto the stairs around them, Thorn grabbing one while trying to hold the child in place. The police siren reached its apex and stopped, the child screaming as Thorn raised the stiletto high overhead. Stop! shouted a voice from the street. Thorn glanced up at them, then down at the child and with a sudden cry of rage plunged the knife downward, the child's scream coming simultaneously with the sound of a gunshot. In New York City, outside the cemetery gates, reporters watched and photographed through telephoto lenses. At the gravesite, The two caskets were being slowly lowered, the priest raising his arms to the sky. Within the assembled mourners, a couple stood apart from the rest, surrounded by men in plain clothes whose eyes furtively roamed the crowd. It was a man, dignified and stately, a woman in a black veil at his side, holding the hand of a four-year-old whose arm was cradled in a sling. And as we commit Robert and Catherine Thorne to their eternal rest, intoned the priest, we turn our eyes to their child, Damien, the sole survivor of this once great family, now moving into the household of another. May he prosper in the love they have to give. May he assume the legacy of his father and become a leader of mankind. From his position near the graves, Damien watched the two caskets descend, holding tight to the hand of the woman at his side. Four motorcycle policemen escorted the limousine outward past the line of reporters, and they snapped photographs of the child's face as it stared back at them through the rear window of the departing car. For all, the photographs would be marred by a blemish, a flaw in the film emulsion creating a haze that hung over the car. The Omen by David Seltzer Abridged by Jeremy Osborne Read by Erwin Teal Produced by Karen Rose A Sweet Talk production for BBC Radio 4.